Good morning. If you have your Bible today, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. Before we begin our message time, I want to give you a little bit of an advertisement, if I could. We began just this last week, a little bit of a soft launch, we began some daily devotion videos. And so we post these very, very early every morning, last about 10 minutes. You can watch the video or there's a way to listen just to the audio. Uh, but our goal with this is to help you and to help our community get into God's Word at least a few minutes every day. And so these videos last about 10 minutes, 8 to 11. Our goal is 10 minutes a day. And so in these videos or in the audio, I read a few verses, three or four verses. We're going to work our way through books of the Bible. I'll read three or four verses, and I'll spend a few minutes teaching on those verses. As I said, we started this last week. You can do this now. Uh, there will be a fresh devotion video tomorrow morning. We're doing this each weekday. Uh, but our real start date is January 1st. Now, we'll do it every day, every weekday between now and then, but on January the 1st, we'll start in the book of James. We'll work through just a few verses a day, 10 minutes a day. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Even now, a couple of weeks out, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to make a plan. If you're not already daily in God's Word, or perhaps if you are and you just want something a little extra, would you make a commitment to joining us 10 minutes every morning? And you can uh, have this playing while you're getting ready in the morning. You could uh, play the audio perhaps on your drive to work in the morning. But give the Lord these special 10 minutes every day. Now the other part of this is I would encourage you to invite some people to do this with you. Reach out to some family or friends, people close to you, and say, would you hold me accountable? This is my commitment for 2024. Would you hold me accountable to this? And I would like to be your encourager and your cheerleader as you do this, if you're interested, and you do it together. A few years ago, we did a program that we called 100 Days Through the New Testament. And so in 100 days, we read much of the New Testament, we preached through the New Testament, and I'll tell you, hardly a week goes by. That's been a number of years ago. And we ended up with so many people in our church doing it, and then so many of their friends and family literally around the country. Hardly a week goes by now, even years later, that somebody doesn't remark to me what an impact that made in their life. And so let's do that with this. Let's all be on board Monday, January the 1st. You can ramp up with us. As I said, uh, you can go back and get last week's, or you can uh, start with us tomorrow morning, and let's make sure we're in God's Word every day. Ten minutes, we all have ten minutes to give to the Lord. Now, how could you access this information? Well, Facebook, most people, first thing you do in the morning is get up and look at Facebook, and we'll work that into a sermon here in the next few weeks maybe, but let's... Uh, Let's take what the world meant for evil and use it for good. And you can get on Facebook and there will be a link first thing in the morning that will take you to this video. You can also just subscribe to the channel on YouTube. You can get there from our church page or from the Facebook page or any number of ways. I tell people you can just go online and search for Noel Deer. There are only three Noel Deers. The other two are teenage girls in Malaysia. And... It won't hurt to follow those, but I'm pretty easy to find, and you can find the YouTube page that way. Uh, another way you can do this is just to listen to the audio via podcast. 
Some of you have no idea what that is, and that's okay. But uh, if you'll just go to your favorite podcasting app, if you are a podcast person, it doesn't matter if it's Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Spotify or uh, whatever podcast program you might use. Again, just search for Noel Deer. You can subscribe to these, and you'll get them early, early every weekday morning. So I have a big question for you before we jump into Luke chapter 1. If you could ask God right now for anything, any one thing, and God said, if you'll ask for one thing, I will absolutely grant it to you. I will grant it to you exactly how you've asked it, exactly when you have asked it to be granted, I will do it. If you had one absolute guaranteed request, what would it be? Now, you've got to be a little bit selfish. Nobody can ask for world peace or for a thousand people to be saved. I want you to think of something that is connected to your life or someone very, very close to you. You only get one request in this little scenario I've created. What if you could only ask for one thing? God guarantees it. One thing, though, what would you ask for? I know exactly what I would ask for. And I imagine most of you know something as well. I'm pretty confident of a couple of things. First of all, you've already asked God for this, right? I certainly have asked God for my one thing. I've asked repeatedly, and I've asked with as much earnestness as I could possibly muster. I've asked for my one thing, and I'm certain you have as well. Another thing I know is true today is that the Lord hasn't done it. The Lord hasn't answered your prayer because if he had answered your prayer, it wouldn't still be at the top of your list, right? Certainly God answers prayer, but the one thing you're thinking of, that's something that God has not yet done. That is something God hasn't yet provided, something God has not yet fixed. So why do you think that is? Let's just put our thinking caps on for a moment. Let's see if we can figure out the riddle. Let's solve the mystery. Why hasn't God given you, why hasn't God given me that one thing that I so desperately, that I have so desperately asked him for? I have some possibilities here. Maybe God is just not good enough. You know, maybe God just doesn't care. Maybe God just is not good enough to respond to your pleas, your needs, your, your heartbreak. Maybe that's the reason. Or maybe God just can't. Maybe he's not powerful enough. Maybe he doesn't have the strength or the authority to answer your prayer. That's a possibility. Or maybe God just doesn't love you. Maybe God just doesn't care what's going on in your life. Maybe it's a problem with you, not a problem with God. Maybe there's something about you that's just so bad that God can't, God won't answer your prayer. Maybe the problem is not God, but it's you. Maybe God is punishing you for some sin. God is not listening to you because you've not listened to him. And so your prayer is not making it past the ceiling. Maybe you just don't deserve an answer. Or maybe there's just no point to all of this faith stuff to begin with. Um, do you know what we call the valley? Between the mountain of our request, if you see our request as a mountain, I've climbed up a mountain and I've requested of the Lord. 
And then another mountain is the mountain of God's provision. God has granted my request. What do we call the valley in between? I call that the valley of disappointment. And there are a lot of people living in the valley of disappointment. For some people, it's a, it's a shallow valley and it's easy to cross and you're going to be fine. But for some others, it's deep and it's perilous and it's filled with thorns and bogs and shadows and many snares. Are you living in the valley of disappointment? If you are, I have some good news. The Lord has something to say to those living in the valley. And I'm excited to take today the Christmas message, really a prequel to the Christmas message, and show you what God says through that message specifically to those who are in the valley of disappointment. So I want you to hold on to your big request. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And I want us to look in Luke chapter 1. You're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, and, and this is a familiar book this time of year because it contains what we like to call the Christmas story. Uh, usually we mean by Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. Some people mean halfway through Luke 1 and as it uh, transitions into Luke 2. But I want to begin at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Because here we see the prequel to the Christmas message. This is really an, an often ignored passage of Scripture. It doesn't get much attention, but it is an incredible historical account of what happened just before the angel visited Mary and the whole Christmas story begins. And more important than any of that, it is God's word to those who are in the valley of disappointment. So let's read verse 5. Scripture says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we start with this married couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to call them Zach and Liz, okay, to use our contemporary names. So Zach is a priest it tells us, and Liz is of a family of priests, and so this is a ministry family. Uh, in history, and throughout history, names have had significance. The meaning of a name has meant something in a person's life. Not so much today as people are choosing names out of name books, and they, they don't usually have much significance today, but in Bible times, certainly, names had significance. And the name Zechariah simply means Jehovah has remembered. Jehovah, God, has remembered. Now, remember that. That is, that is key to understanding this, this entire account. We will come back to that. Look at verse 6. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So, Zach and Liz lived in the valley of disappointment. They didn't have children. They couldn't have children. And that was bad news uh, on several levels. 
It was bad news, first of all, because the greatest desire of most married couples, not all married couples, but the greatest desire of most married couples is to do what? Is to have children and raise a family. And so there would have been heartbreak. They had no children. But it also, it's also bad news because in those days, from a cultural perspective, having children, a Jewish family having children, and especially having sons, was their way of participating in the redemption of the nation. They looked forward to the day that God would restore Israel to, to prominence and, 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 and to power, and, and God would put a Messiah on the throne. And even if they uh, didn't see their sons as the Messiah, they still saw their children, that future family, as their way of participating, being a part of the redemption of Israel. It was, it was very important in a cultural sense. It was also important in a practical, a, a practical sense. Uh, in those days, there was no 401k, there was no Roth, there was no Social Security, and as you got too old to work, you looked to your sons to provide food and shelter. If you didn't have sons, you didn't eat food in many cases. In fact, you could starve to death. They looked to their sons as, the, as their support for old age. And so it was bad news. Zach and Liz lived in a valley of disappointment. So let's go back to that first question that we started with. If you could ask God for one thing and he promised you that today, just as you asked it, just when you asked it, he would answer. What do you think that one question was, that one request was for Zachariah and Elizabeth? Well, no question. For many years and perhaps decades, that one question was that God would give them a child. And maybe specifically that God would give them a son. How many times do you think that Zach and Liz prayed that God would give them a son? It was three times, 20 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. How many times do you think Elizabeth woke up in the morning with an upset stomach and she thought, maybe this is it? only to get over the illness in a few days and have her heart crushed all over again. How many times do you think they wondered if maybe something was wrong with them? And that's why God gave children to everybody they knew, but didn't give children to them. You know, we don't know how old uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth were. We know that they were uh, late in years, let's just assume that in Luke chapter 1, they're 60 years old. I made that up, but I think the evidence would support that. If they're 60 years old, that would have been at the extreme end of life expectancy in those days. When do you think they stopped praying? I'm going to show you in a few minutes that I do think they stopped praying. There was a time at which they quit praying every day, Lord, make Elizabeth pregnant. She's 60 years old. He's 60 years old. When do you think they stopped? And do you think it was a conscious decision? Do you think they had a conversation one day? They were, they were eating at Jalapeno Tree and they said, I don't think we ought to pray this anymore. Look how old we are. Or do you think it just sort of fizzled out over time? When did they last pray that Elizabeth would be 
would be praying. All we know for sure is that they were living in the valley of disappointment. Uh, now, you might think, Pastor, how do you know that that's true? They're older now. They, they're more mature. Maybe they've gotten past this. Maybe Elizabeth is not disappointed anymore. Well, you would be wrong, okay? Because uh, when we get down to verse 25, and we'll read it again in a moment, but when we get down to verse 25, we're going to see the heart of Elizabeth. Now, spoiler alert, Elizabeth gets pregnant. You probably already knew that, Right? But listen to verse 25. This is after she's pregnant. She says, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. All the way to the day that she conceived, John, her son, John the Baptist, we will call him later in Scripture, she, she was in the valley of disappointment for decades, for decades. Now let's... Continue reading verses 8 and 9, when his division, that's Zechariah's division, was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. There were about 18,000 priests in that day scattered out across Israel and these priests would rotate into the, to the temple in like two-week um, tours of duty, so to speak. And so if they didn't already live in Jerusalem, for this assigned time, two weeks, and oftentimes they would rotate through twice a year, but during this two-week tour of duty, they would come to Israel and they would do priestly things. They would take care of the temple. They'd mop the floors, they'd buy the meat, they'd do whatever had to be done. They were priests in the temple these two weeks of the year. Now, the one thing that every priest, all 18,000, the one thing everyone wanted to do was to be the person that would take the incense into the holy place and burn that incense and offer prayer on behalf of the people. It only happened twice a day, but it really was, it was what a priest was born to do. He looked forward to this his entire life. Now, 18,000 priests, they didn't all get to do it. In fact, many of them, their entire lives, they never got to do this. But when they would rotate in during their two weeks, they would draw straws or cast lots or something, and they would determine which of those priests got to do it that week. And if you ever were chosen, you can only do it once. You'd never be chosen again. But as I said, many people never, were never selected uh, Zachariah is 60 years old, perhaps. He's probably thinking it hasn't happened yet. It likely won't happen. That's the one thing as a priest that you want to do before you die. But on this occasion, his name is selected. And we probably can't even imagine what a big deal that was. He's going to get to do it. He's going to get to go into the holy place, offer the incense and offer prayers on behalf of all the nation. He has been chosen. Look at verse 10, at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people, they were praying outside. So Zechariah went enter alone, just him. It's important to know that this uh, sacrifice is described in Exodus chapter 30, both the, uh, the recipe for the incense and what it meant. It represented as the smoke, the aromatic smoke would ascend. It represented the constant continual prayers of God's of God's people. So with this once in a lifetime assignment, 
the importance of this to Zechariah. He walks in, you can imagine that his heart was beating out of his chest. What happens? Verse 11 and 12. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Now, this was unexpected. This didn't ordinarily happen. There weren't angels hanging around in the holy place. So he walks in, and he knew exactly what he was going to see. He knew the arrangement of the furniture. He had read all the Old Testament. And, and, and he had certain expectation, but he gets there, and there's an angel there. Scares him to death. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. Now there's a phrase in that verse that I think we tend to just skip over that is the, the centerpiece of this entire section of scripture. Do you see it? What did the angel say? Your prayer has been heard. What prayer do you think the angel was talking about? Now, Zechariah had, had come in with a prepared prayer. He had a prayer. He planned to pray. But I don't think it's that prayer that the angel was talking about because right after the angel says, your prayer has been heard, what does he say? He says, your wife is going to have a son. I think the prayer he's talking about here very clearly is the prayer that Zechariah had prayed, probably not in a very, very long time, but that prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed over and over and over and over, please give us a son, please give us a son, please give us a son. And so the angel announced, God, he has heard your prayer. Uh, now we're going to come back to this in, in, in just a moment, but when do you think was the last time Zechariah prayed that prayer? You think it was 10 years ago when they were 50 or 20 years ago when they were 40 or 30 years ago when they were 30? Most people you know, would have began to have children probably at the age of 13 or 14 in those days. And it would have been very rare for someone even 30 to have a child perhaps. And I wonder when they last prayed that prayer. It had been a long time. And we'll see more evidence of that in, in just a moment. But look at verse 14. The angel continues, there will be joy and delight for you, and many people will rejoice at his birth. Now, have you ever thought about this? The angel comes and makes this announcement of John. That's his name. He's going to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. Who does the angel share this with? Who's the announcement made to? It's made to Zechariah, the dad. Now, a few verses later, the angel is going to go to announce for the first time uh, Jesus. Who will the angel go to then, the man or the woman? He'll go first to the woman, right? To Mary. Why, why did the angel go to Zechariah in the first case, but went to Mary first in the second case? Um, here's, here's just my Christmas present to you, past, uh, church. Uh, I spent like a half day studying that this week. I, uh, nothing's been written about it in several, several hundred years, but it was a big controversy in the third and fourth centuries. And I read everything I could. And I've got a good, juicy, one hour long answer to that question, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> and so when you're at home at a reasonable hour today, having lunch with your family, I want you to say just a word of thanksgiving for your pastor. Merry Christmas, okay? <laughs> 
Now, verse 15, words about this son from the angel. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready the Lord a prepared people. Now, Zechariah would have recognized most of those words because they weren't original to the angel. They were quotes from the Old Testament. In fact, the way the Old Testament ends, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, I believe, that's, that's a good part of what we've read here. And, and so, uh, Zechariah, these would have been familiar to him. And, and he would have known that what, what the angel was saying is that your son, John, is going to be the forerunner, the appointed man who will come right before the Messiah in order to prepare the people. And that'll be important. That'll be important. Um, look at verse 18. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. There's a little marriage lesson there. Notice he calls himself an old man. He does not call his wife an old woman. He says that I'm an old man and she's advanced. She's advanced. I think there's good wisdom right there. So he got that part right, but he got some things wrong in verse 18. He has questioned, he has questioned the angel and he really has questioned uh, God. Um, what's Zechariah really saying? He's saying, we can't have a, a child because we've got a big problem. What was their big problem? They're old, okay? Let me give you a lesson here, a real lesson. We can't think our problems are big and also think God is big. It's one or the other. Either you have big problems or you have a big God. Do you see how those are mutually exclusive? And so he says to the angel, that can't happen. We've got big problems. We'll see how the angel responds in just a moment. It will not be a nice response, by the way. But did you know that you can block out the sun with a quarter? You ever thought about that? If you close one eye, you look up at the sun, you take a quarter, and you hold that quarter up and you move it closer and closer to your eye, you know what will happen? It will block out the sun. You get it close enough, you can't even see the sun. Now, a foolish person might do that and then conclude, the quarter is bigger than the sun. But that would be foolish, right? But that's exactly what Zechariah did. And that's exactly what we do. When we look at our problems and we think our problems are bigger than God. God says to the angel, you're going to have a son. Zechariah says, no, no, no. You don't understand. We've got a big problem. We're old. See, he had taken that problem and he had, all Zechariah could see was the problem. The truth is, Zechariah had a big God. He had a little problem. And the truth is, for me and you, we've got a big God and a little problem. Now look at verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. 
who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now, pardon my language here. If you have kids, cover their ears for a moment. Here's what the, uh, here's what the angel says to Zechariah. Zechariah, shut up, okay? Quit talking about your problems. I've just brought a message from God. And then the next verse, now listen. Is this the way you talk to your kids? You know he's, I don't know if the angel is mad, but this is the language of anger, right? When I say this to my kids, I'm mad. Now listen, kids. Now listen, he says in verse 20. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. You know what that is? That's the first timeout. You put your kids in timeout sometimes? Well, God, through the angel, put Zechariah in timeout for five months. He said, you're not going to be able to talk. You're not going to be able to listen. We see that a little later in scripture uh, passage here. He puts them in timeout for five months because of his foolish unbelief. But there's another important, very important uh, phrase right there in that in that verse. Uh, notice he says right at the end, you see the last two words in verse 20? The angel says he will fulfill this when? In the proper time. Remember that. Verse 24, we'll skip down a little ways. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, we read it a moment ago, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Now, what we see here is God's long game. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they hoped that God would answer the prayer in the short term. God God had a different plan. God was playing the long game. Now, it's an interesting story, and it's, a, it, it's, it's an interesting part of history. But, but this, as I've already told you, speaks to those who are in the valley of disappointment. If you've got that big question, this is the one thing I want God to do, but God hasn't done it, and you wonder why God hasn't done it, and you're waiting for God to do it, and you're in that valley of disappointment, here's what this story says to us. Number one, God's hearing is perfect. God's hearing is perfect. Do you wonder if God hears your prayers sometimes? Do you think that Zechariah and Elizabeth wondered if God listened to their prayers? They had prayed perhaps for decades, perhaps every day for decades that God would answer them. And God had not answered them, at least so far as they could see. They must have wondered if God heard their prayers. But the story that we've just read, the historical account tells us that God's hearing is perfect. Perfect. Look, look back at verse 13. It says, the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will have a son. Now, I re- do you remember when I asked you at the beginning to remember what the name Zechariah meant? Do you remember what it means? Yahweh or Jehovah remembers. That's what his name means. So let's look again at what the angel said in verse 13. He said, Okay, Mr. God has remembered. God has remembered. And he remembers your prayers. Your very name is God has remembered. And I've come to announce to you, God has remembered, that God has remembered. He remembers. 
And God says the same thing to us as he said to Zechariah. God remembers his hearing is perfect. He has heard you and he remembers. And you have not shed even one tear that God has not recorded in heaven. He remembers. You know, one of my favorite verses in the book of Revelation, and I really don't know what it means fully, uh, but I still love this verse. It's Revelation 5.8. Look with me on the screen. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense. We already seen incense in this story, but notice he gives us some commentary with incense here in Revelation 5.8, which are what? The prayers of the saints. Now, I don't know what that verse means. If people here smarter than I am, they can tell you when the service is over. But I know it at least means this. God keeps our prayers in bowls. When you pray, that's not ignored. It's not cast aside. It is more precious to God than it is to you. It is so precious he keeps it in bowls. You know, I've got a few little gifts that my kids made for me. A lot of them in Sunday school or vacation Bible school when they were just little kids. And they made some trinket that frankly is not well made or useful or pretty. But it's, I still have it. 10 years later, 20 years later, 25 years later, I'm getting old. Um, I still have it. Why? It's precious to me because it was their offering to their dad on Father's Day or something. When you pray, God puts it in a bowl and he keeps it. God's hearing is perfect. He heard you. He hears you. And our minds cannot begin to contemplate what the Lord may do because of the concerns that we've brought. I want you to have this assurance if you're in the valley of disappointment, God hears. It had been decades, I believe. But when the angel came to Zechariah, first thing he said was, your prayers have been heard. Which ones? The ones you prayed 30 years ago. They were heard. And God's kept them for 30 years in a bowl because God's not finished. God's hearing is perfect. Can I share with you number two? God's timing is perfect. Five times in the Bible someone prays, how long, O Lord? I wonder how many times Zach and Elizabeth prayed, how long, O Lord? I wonder how many times you've prayed that. Uh, was God's timing off with Zachariah and Elizabeth? Well, it certainly seemed like it was off from their perspective, right? They prayed and prayed and prayed as a young couple, give us, give us a kid, give us a kid, give us a kid. And God didn't do any of that. Um, but perhaps, perhaps God was up to something bigger than just giving them a kid. Let's look at, let's look at God's timing. God had been waiting 4,000 years, give or take. 4,000 years he had been waiting to send his son to redeem the world from their sin. Ever since Adam and Eve. He had been waiting a long time. Now, in that waiting, God had done some very important things. I'll give you just a short list. God revealed his justice and his grace by sending the flood and 
and Noah's Ark. Then God showed us that our relationship with him would be based on faith when Abraham, years later, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then God demonstrated the true fallen nature of of man by giving us the law. And then God gave us a model of the coming Savior through the flawed kings of Israel. And then God gave us a foreshadowing of the coming of the Son through the words of the prophets. And then God promised that he would send a forerunner to announce the ministry of Christ. And then God exactly arranged the socio-political structure of the world so that Christ could be born and the church could begin and could spread at this unusual time where there was uh, a peace, in the known world, there was uh, uh, easy travel and, and, and there was a, a common language. Historians call this very unusual time, the Pax Romana. It was a 200 year period of time. This is the first time it had happened in the, in the history of earth that there was this period of peace and period of easy transportation and a common language in the Western world. And so it was, it was all of that that God arranged so that he could send his Messiah on a date certain. And of course, the forerunner would come just right before that. This this was all according to God's cosmic calendar. God had a, a, a Gantt chart for the redemption of man, and it was a very complicated chart. There were tons of things the Lord wanted to do, and, and, and all of those things had to be in a perfect order, and some of them, though, happened simultaneously but with different prerequisites, and one thing influenced another thing, and God had all of these things come together that on a certain day in history that Jesus Christ would be born, and a part of that complicated plan of God was the day that the forerunner of Christ would be conceived. And this was the day. You see, God God was not late. God was exactly on time. What did did the angel say? He said, this will be fulfilled at the what? At the proper time. We saw that in the verses we read. At the proper time. This was the proper time. God was exactly on time. God had a plan, and it was a wonderful plan, and it was an on-time plan. If Zachariah and Elizabeth thought that God was late, they were wrong. God planned for their son to be the forerunner of Jesus. God had a date certain for Jesus, which meant that God had a date certain for John, which meant that God had a date certain for the conception of John. God was exactly on time. Now you might be thinking, well, pastor, that's not even fair. Because Zachariah and Elizabeth had no way of knowing that. They had no way of knowing all those times they cried those tears and they prayed those prayers. God, give us a son, give us a son. All those times they told God it ignored them and God was was not listening to them and God was rejecting them. All those decades of all of those prayers, they had no way of knowing what God was up to. Exactly. And neither do you. And neither do I. Listen, I'm praying for something so hard for right now. I've been praying for it for two years. It is just eating me up. I pray for it every day. My wife prays for it every day. It is just, it's just ripping my, my soul into. God hadn't answered. God hadn't sort of answered, kind of answered. God hadn't given me a, a whisper that it might be answered. 
you know what? God could be up to something greater than I even can imagine. And it might have way, it might be way more than this little narrow specific thing that my heart's broken over today. It turned out to be true with Zach and Liz. God's timing is perfect. I'm out of time, but I'll tell you that God's provision is, is perfect. Uh, did God give Zachariah and Elizabeth what they needed? He did. But listen, he didn't give them what they asked for. Let's just be honest. I know they had a baby and that's what they asked for, but having a baby at the extreme end of life expectancy is not the same as having a baby when you're just a young couple getting started, right? It was lack, likely that uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth died when their baby, when their son John was young. They probably never saw him grow up. We don't know. It's likely that, um, well, it's almost certain that he didn't take care of them in their old age. They had no grandkids. But don't feel bad for Zachariah and Elizabeth. God didn't give them a son in their prime, but God gave them something even greater. And we don't have time to read the passage you can go uh, tomorrow to noldeer.com. You can read the whole sermon, all the stuff I'm skipping. But if you continue to read down at the end of the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, you read this, you read Elizabeth's account of what happened from her perspective. She ends up with Mary, the mother of Jesus. They're both pregnant. John, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, even recognizes that Jesus is there, even though John was unborn, Jesus was unborn. Sort of unusual. I may preach on that next week, I'm not sure. But here's what, uh, here's what Elizabeth said uh, when that happened. Verse 43, how could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see, Elizabeth's satisfaction wasn't in she finally had a son. Her satisfaction came from the fact that the Messiah was coming. Those are her words. What was the answer, the provision, the satisfaction that God gave to Zachariah and Elizabeth? It wasn't John, it was Jesus. See, we have to be careful that we don't confuse God's lesser gifts with God's ultimate gifts. So let's go back to the first question. What one thing would you ask God to do if you could ask God to do anything and he guaranteed to do it just when and just how you asked? You should ask that and God may grant it in fabulous fashion. He may 10 exit and you may stand and praise God for the specific gift of his kindness. I've seen that, I've experienced that, and I hope that's the story. I hope that's your story. But ask for what you ask for, knowing that the whole message of Christmas is that what we really need is just Jesus. Jesus is the source of peace. Jesus is the source of forgiveness, and Jesus is the guarantee of the love of the Father. What we really need is Jesus. So ask. Ask for what you want to ask for. I'm asking. I'm asking every day. But I'm asking knowing 
that what I really need is not that thing. What I really need is Jesus. It's Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if there's never been a time when you have surrendered to him, Christmas is the time you should do that. No better time than today. So I'm going to ask you today to trust in Christ, what he did for you on the cross, paying for your sins, surrender to him, be adopted into his family. All the things you think you need, that's the one thing you do need. And that's the message of Christmas. In a moment, we will stand and sing in both services, and there'll be people in the front who will, it would thrill them to pray with you, to talk with you about how to do that. I invite you to come. Even while we're singing, I invite you to come. But you know, for many of us, we know we're children of God. There's no question in our minds, no question in our hearts. But we have been so focused on that one thing that we have lived in the valley of disappointment we have been frustrated. We've asked questions that perhaps we shouldn't have asked about the character of God and the love of God and the timing of God. Here's my prayer for you as your pastor today. Recognize that what you really need is just a closer walk with Christ. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and a right walk with him. He'll take care of these other things. That's what Jesus said. Father in heaven, what I really need is what you have already given. And that is your son, Jesus Christ. And I celebrate that today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In both services, let's stand and let's sing.